Hey everybody and welcome to Vice Versa. A little different than usual because our very own Matt Farrell is not with us today. He's a little under the weather so Maddie, best wishes on a fast recovery. Hope you're going to do well and we'll see you next week. But the show must go on and so today I am joined by my very good friend Ben Sullins. You guys probably know Ben. Ben is one of the OGs in the space. I think I, I started watching your videos before we even started YouTube so so you were one <laughs> nice. of the very first to get into this. So thank you so much for taking uh, the time to join us today. We got some cool topics to talk about. There's a lot of cool stuff around batteries and Tesla and Rivian and stuff. So Ben, why don't you just tell us a little about yourself? Um, you probably know Ben. A lot of you joined us probably from our ludicrous future, but yeah. Yeah. Hey, thanks for having me on, Ricky. Um, yeah, happy to be here. You know, fan of your work and Matt's work. Known you guys for a long time. So yeah, you know, I've been doing YouTube for a little while, talking about electric cars, sustainable living, all those kind of things. And uh just having fun with it, you know, had, had the past two months off for summer break with the kids. So glad to be back in the studio and uh, on the grind. I hear you. I saw your your time off. I was very envious. Looking forward to having enough videos pre-recorded that I can take some time off as well. I, I just didn't publish. I just haven't published a video in seven weeks or something like that. So eight weeks now. So, you know, hopefully the algorithm's nice, but, you know. From, uh, from, yeah. from my experience anyway you can take some time off and when you come back i've had yeah i've done that several times as well so it, it used to be really focused like you had to be publishing all the time otherwise it wasn't like your channel would really slowly kind of die but it was really interesting watching the stats like kind of be steady over the past couple months like not really going up or down or anything i'm like oh nice so there is some you know obviously when you put out new videos you get a lift there but absent of that it's still like oh there's something here that is people still find value in so it's kind of cool how that works yeah in some ways that's actually an even more interesting data point and you being the big data nerd so that should be a good interesting uh, angle for our stories today so yeah. are you ready to get started let's do it all right so our very first story is about a new startup called StoreDot that claims to have a battery that can charge in 10 minutes. You know, Matt and I, Ben, we all talk about batteries a whole lot because pretty much everything in the future is going to be kind of circled around batteries, whether it's sustainable energy and storage of renewables or electric vehicles and everything else. So this company actually claims that they're building a 4680 cylindrical cell, just like what Tesla is doing. And with the added benefit that their batteries can charge in 10 minutes. So mm. we've talked about Tesla had believed that they've kind of cracked the code for their thermal limitations and stuff. There's certain physics that play that, that come into play that determine how big a cell can get before, you know, the cell, the heat builds up and the, the, the system's ability with the cooling ribbon to remove the heat can't keep up and everything else. So Tesla's clearly got something going on there. And now this new company out of Israel claims that they can do the same thing. Now, this is really early on the, the you know, they're not like a full rate production or anything that wouldn't happen for several years, but it's impressive. I think it's interesting that there's so many companies vying in this space and working at possible solutions. But the thing is, I think about like Ben, I don't know how you feel about this one, but I think about LG and all the problems they've had lately around some of those, I think mm -hmm. they're tabs and some, you know, contact issues with their tabs. Building batteries is really hard. And when you stick thousands of them into a pack to make a battery, any one of them, or, you know, a couple of them could be bad and you'd have problems. So this is cool and interesting, but early on, and I think they've got, you know, they got a lot to prove in terms of, of all that. How, what kind of chemistry are they working with? Is it lithium ion? Is it, you know, LFP? Like what, what did they say 
how they crack this code because I feel I feel like I've heard this before with different Definitely. battery makers or startups like this years ago. I remember there was one that had it, it was basically like for it was, you know pouch style batteries, which are used in a lot of other uh, applications as well as other cars. Um, there were some there that they said basically because it was like one giant cell, you could charge the whole thing in five minutes instead of having to charge thousands of little cells, which regardless of how quick it is, still takes a lot of time. Just having one giant pouch, you could almost do it that way. So did they did they allude to what it is or just they say they've got this and Tesla come by us or whomever? <laughs> so they did, not, they did not mention what the chemistry is. And some of the questions that were raised in the article are really good ones. Like, for example, are you telling us that you can take one cell and charge it in 10 minutes? Which, okay, that's something. But that's not nearly as exciting as putting thousands of them together and dealing with the residual heat from all of them kind of heating each other up and dealing with that. It's completely different uh, in in that situation. Plus, out ambient temperatures, was it 120 degrees outside in Phoenix, for example, when you were charging? Was it, you know, freezing out? So there's a ton to prove. And it seems... All the battery companies kind of do the same thing where they give you something to be excited about and they're pretty mum on some of the details and it doesn't come out until later all the challenges that they're going through. Like remember QuantumScape, they had sure. all these presentations on all the great stuff, but well, you're forecasting, you know, building batteries in like years from now. So what is it between now and then that you're you're gonna have to figure out? And so that stuff almost doesn't come out until like the IPO filings and all that. But yeah, I think yeah. it's promising, but you gotta take it with a grain of salt. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. In the battery space, it's been like this since I've ever been paying attention. You know, there's always some breakthrough in a lab or this or that, and there's all this hype, and then years go by and you're going, all right, where is it? You know, what's happening? And I think it's exactly what you're saying. When it comes time to actually making these things and putting them through the ringer in terms of what they can handle, because it's different if you put, for example, if you want to do a home battery where the thing is mounted on your wall and doesn't really move, versus in a car that is going 80 miles an hour and hits a wall or something. It's it's just a different level that you have to build it in terms of the, the, the durability and all those things. So, yeah, it's exciting, but, you know, I wouldn't hold my breath. Like, in the battery space, it seems like this is more, you know, every company and every industry always wants to, uh, I don't know, foreshadow what is to come and get you hyped so you buy the thing now or something. But... You know, in the battery space, it seems even more so that it, there's so much hype and very little of it comes. But hey, if they've got it, I'd love to see it, you know. Well said. And I think in that case, you're going to like the next one because the next story is about something far more tangible. And that is something that Tesla is kind of in the midst of getting into very shortly. And that is becoming a utility provider in Texas. So we've, we've talked about Texas quite a bit this year. Everything starting with the the cold freeze that they had that caused all kinds of power outages and showed some of the challenges that they have in their in their systems, whether it be renewable sources or even like natural gas power plants that weren't weatherized. Uh, Tesla is going to jump on the bandwagon and say, if, you know, if utility companies are deregulated and it's very open market, very capitalistic, why can't we get in and, and provide power? So they're going to do it with their battery packs, right? And it aims to connect a 100 megawatt energy storage system to the grid. And the cool thing with this is they can, as a utility company, you know, all utility companies still have energy bills. Like you have to consume energy as well. They could buy low, sell high. They could do all sorts of things. And um, with their auto bidder software, they can be in the business of buying electricity when it's cheap and then outputting it when it's expensive. 
And as lucrative as that could be from a com commercial standpoint, it's also really valuable to the grid because we don't have storage. That's always been kind of the, the pitfall that we've, we've seen. And imagine if there was a cold snap, like what happened in February in Texas. Well, imagine being able to kick this on and like provide the kind of power needed to keep critical functions operational. That could be like literally life saving. So um, mm -hmm. also, I, I don't think Tesla would mind, you know, with ERCOT and their deregulated grid, power prices aren't fixed at all. Like in California, no matter what happens or how many people are running their air conditioner, people can't raise my rate beyond a certain amount. Right. Ben and I live here in San Diego. But in Texas, the deregulation is great when electricity is abundant and the prices are, you know, five cents and people brag about that. Yeah. But during that cold snap, there were people who had thousand dollar electric bills because the prices, again, it's deregulated. Deregulated works both ways after all. And um, <laughs> as a result, people were hit with huge fines and um, and they weren't prepared for it. And they didn't know until they got their electric bills that they were charged, you know, dollars a kilowatt hour because, well, that's what the supply and demand open market yeah. capitalistic price was. So Tesla yeah. can jump in and say, oh, $3 a kilowatt hour right now because these plants are offline. You bet and just discharge and make a ton of money. So this is kind of a win-win for both both fronts, I think. What do you, what do you think? Yeah, I, I think it's cool. I, I really would, would like, I mean, yeah, they totally should do it. And I think it makes sense. And I think Texas, you know, it's like you said, a capitalist kind of system there. So go for it. Like, like if someone can uh, give me something more efficiently, which is kind of the nature of capitalism, then great. I'm sure they'll be all for it. Um, the challenge I find, or the, the alternative that I would really love to see them pursue is if instead of building power packs, 100 megawatt systems, whatever they want to do. Instead, they did the virtual power plant thing and tried to leverage the power walls of all of the people in Texas already. And if not, they could also do things like offer them for really cheap. So that way, you're decentralizing the grid in a way that makes it more resilient. You know, both of us have worked in tech and software for a long time, and we all know that these big massive tech websites like Netflix or Google or whatever aren't run by a giant single computer. They're run by millions of little computers so that if one goes down, it's not a big deal. So I, I still prefer that approach, a decentralized approach where you have lots of little batteries on everyone's homes and maybe you subsidize those. Um, Tesla could give them practically for free. And then that becomes your virtual power plant. They're actually just starting to do this in California. They actually do have it in Massachusetts as well, where I believe Matt lives, right? So anyways, I think I like the idea. I think that they could accelerate that and become an even bigger player in that space by doing it in a different way than just, hey, let's build a giant battery. Because even 100 megawatt hours... Uh, isn't a tremendous amount of energy when in the grand scheme of things. It's not like what a nuclear power plant does or something like that, right? So it's still a, a drop in the bucket in terms of the overall energy needs of a state like Texas. But if instead you could incentivize people to buy power walls, you're making money there. And, you know, it's just, to me, it seems like a better option. But I'm fully supportive of Tesla basically just becoming a utility provider in all these states. It'll have all the benefits you mentioned. And, you know, regardless of of Tesla making money, you as a homeowner would be protected against these things, regardless of what the grid is doing, you know, because even if Tesla had this bat massive battery that could handle these winter storms, you still have to have transmission lines and transformers and all there's all still a lot of equipment that has to be functioning in order to get that power from the battery to your house. 
Whereas if you have it on your house yourself, I don't need any of that stuff, right? I've got my, my, my essential loads panel. I've got my, my batteries. I've got my solar. I'm good. I don't need the grid to do this. So I, I'm, I'm in favor of that. But in general, yeah, the more the merrier in terms of how to make it more renewable, more resilient. It's a really good point you bring up. By the way, I don't know if you've been keeping track with like California building codes, but I think it's 2022 or 2023. They are mandating batteries with every new home installation. So mm. it was like the 2019 or 2020 bill uh, code update that they had where they required solar. So currently, if you build a new house in California, yep. based on how big the house is, you have to include solar when you build it. People might be thinking that's crazy and all this, but you got to remember California houses here are like a million dollars easily. So a four $30,000 solar system is kind of a drop in the bucket or in the overall cost. This would probably not work in places where the homes are cheaper, more affordable, but now they're going to also mandate batteries. So what you're describing of kind of this decentralized grid that could be in the very near term, especially here in California. Um, you mentioned that Matt lives in Massachusetts. He's already got something like this where they mm-hmm. they actually already honor this sort of a system. I think maybe in that case, then the Powerwall and the Mega Pack installations can be kind of a proof of concept and show people here's how resilient this can be. And did you opt in, by the way, to the beta for the VPP with your Powerwall? I did. Yeah, I did too. Yeah, and yeah you- just because I assume you're not going to make money on it now in California to be a, uh, but I assume that you will as soon as the grid operators here see that. I mean, in the end, you know, you can, the grid, it's all capitalism in the end, right? So the reason that the energy companies or grid operators even care to do this is because they save money. That's what it comes down to. And the good news is, is that a homeowner, you get paid by doing this. So this little battery in your house becomes a little employee that starts making you money. Um, I know a guy, I interviewed him in Massachusetts and he got, I think two events or three of the three times he got an old notice and said, Hey, there's going to be a, an event. We're going to pull some power from your power wall. Don't worry. It'll, it'll only go down to 20, 25%. And he's like, great. I did, didn't even, didn't even notice it being gone or whatever. And right. end, end of the year, he got a check for $700. Brilliant. I mean, $700 isn't going to put your kid through college, but Hey, you know, it's something and it'll pay for something that, that is you need in your life. So I'm fully supportive of it. I assume the California one is just a, hey, let's get let, let's get a test and show how it works. And then once a grid op- operator see that, they go, oh, I can we can we as a grid operator can make more money and be more profitable. Yes, we're going to do that. I don't like that's one of, one of the funny things is I don't really think these energy companies. Maybe I'm wrong, but I I think their allegiance is to profit and money over oil companies or anything else. It just happens to be the other dirtier sources of energy are cheaper. And so that's where they go. You know, I think it's just an allegiance to the profit in the bottom line. So once they see that these decentralized renewable sources are cheaper, I think they'll they'll easily jump on board. I think you're 100% right. By the way, at the very beginning of the stream, we had a little mix up where I hit live before I meant to or something. So Bryce uh, Burnett, you mentioned you had a super chat before on the old stream. Thank you for your super chat. We don't see it here, but I appreciate you. Let us know what you wrote and we can, we can, we can show it off. Uh, and also I uh, wanted to say hi to Bong Hollywood. He mentioned he's in the VPP gang as well. Uh, he lives very close to me actually. And yes, Bong, I, I know you're you're a VPP uh, user as well. I can't wait to see more data. Ben, I'm looking forward to the video on your channel where you go, here's the data, and and, and, we, and we dig into what being on the VPP yeah. system really means long-term. And you mentioned we don't get paid today, but in the future, maybe we can. The I think you're spot on about the idea that really just comes down to the, to the cost of it. 
Um, one mistake that a lot of people make is thinking that their energy company, like the company that provides them electricity, generates electricity. They're really the broker, they're the middleman. They have no interest in where it comes from. If today they're buying it from San Onofre nuclear power plant and then they shut down and the Ben Sullins, Ricky, Matt Farrell power company with a bunch of solar panels and power walls jumps online, they don't care because they're just going to negotiate and say, what can you, what can we buy? electricity from you and then what can we sell to our end customers and we're going to profit that difference and charge you for generation and everything else they have no allegiance just like you said they don't care where it comes from so all that really is good news and i think this auto bidder software will be will be really central to it because if it's super automated and easy and you mentioned 700 bucks my entire energy bill for my entire house and charging my electric car so there's no gasoline fill up prices anymore it was about 800 bucks for the year in 2020 there you go 2020 yeah. so that would almost cover that that's i signed me yeah, up well there you i'm go. already signed up i guess you get a little note notice to say hey you want to opt into this sure cool got it okay a couple times a year you don't even know the difference to you your life just went on you clicked a button and bam your whole energy bill for the year is paid for and gas bill you know in, right. in that return so that's a really good point it's it's amazing i mean yeah, no, I, I absolutely love this idea, um, the whole VPP thing. I did a video on it a while ago, um, but it, you know, was it, the concept is very new and very limited. I'm really excited to see them kind of rolling it out more places. Yep, totally agree. There's, there's, I mean, I think everybody's excited about VPP. Somebody mentioned they they hope that it rolls out in more places like North Carolina and other places. Totally agree. I think you start somewhere as a pilot program, and it's going to be a no-brainer for everybody, especially because you can. You can hold energy for times when you need it. That, that I think, Texas has shown us this year that it's really, really valuable. Uh, something we need in, in to Texas, have. In Texas, has still having issues in the summer, too. I know I was talking to Joe Scott the other day about it, and he was telling me kind of some stories about, you know, the they're still having these crazy high prices because the same systems and things that went down in the cold didn't all come back online and get rebuilt and totally fixed. So now that it's summer and everyone's running air conditioning 24 uh, seven, it's still the same, you know, problem of these, these really fluctuating prices. And so those days of that, you know, uh, sweet Texas crude giving you five cents a kilowatt hour kind of gone uh, until the foreseeable future. That's really good. Speaking of cool stories, this is probably one of my favorite stories because I'm, I think we, you and I are both pretty bullish on the company that is Rivian filing for their IPO. Now, there's been this SPAC electric vehicle startup kind of frenzy lately. Most companies have gone via reverse merger like Lucid Motors, but Rivian filed and went IPO the old fashioned way. So that's kind of cool. I, I think that r really raises uh, a, a sense of uh, credibility for the company because it's a lot more um, required. There's a lot more requirements and it's a lot more involved to go the old fashioned way. There's a lot more bookkeeping and and, and looking into your uh, accounting principles and stuff. So they're going to be uh, offering at a in initial valuation of $80 billion, which, you know, if you compare that to Tesla, it sounds like, okay, that that's in the realm, but you got to remember that's more than like Honda and, uh, you know, Mercedes and being, it's, it's higher than Ford, General Motors. It's more than all of those companies and they make millions of cars. So um, maybe, yeah, Ben, I'm curious what your, what your thought is on that. But one of the things that the, the, the article mentions is they do have hundreds of thousands of pre-orders, like, for example, for Amazon trucks. So mm -hmm. there is a sense that there's, there's, a, there's a backlog of, of orders. Ben, I believe, is a pre-order reservation holder for the truck. So it's a popular company. And one thing I think that Rivian has done that is enviable is they've always stayed popular. Even 
through delays and other challenges and stuff, Rivian has been beloved, which, you know, being on YouTube and Twitter, Ben can probably attest. There's, there's a fair bit of negativity towards other companies. And there's something about Rivian and their, I think it may be their founder, their image, their reputation or their media presence, something they have always been kind of on the beloved side and, 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 and looked up to. So they're going IPO and uh, they're, they're going to raise money. They've already, they're kind of a fundraising machine. They've raised their fair bit, like nearly around $10 billion at this point, according to the article. And they're on the cut. They're on the verge of deliveries. I've, I've heard they've been pushed till 2022, but I was reading somewhere that they might be delivering in the next couple of months. So maybe there'll be some, some early deliveries and the bulk of it will start in 2022. But Ben, it might be decision time on your uh, reservation sooner than you thought. <laughs> what do you What do you think? Yeah, yeah. Well, I I, I think um, RJ sent out an email saying that September is when they still plan first deliveries. But I would guess that this is kind of how Tesla did it, where these are investors, employees. You know, Jeff Bezos will get one or something like that. This isn't going to be you know normal normies like like you and me. But uh, them going public, I feel, seems a bit premature. But, you know, the market, I'm, I'm very, um, I look at the stock market as this, it's, it's even more crazy than crypto. It's just pure fantasy land where people make things up and decide that that's what's worth money. It has no bearing on reality whatsoever. So the value of all of these companies, I think, is fairly meaningless. Uh, the only people that really care are big institutional investors or people that, that should care. So if the people that have worked hard to make that company what it is get paid out of this, awesome. Good for you guys. Take that money. Ma keep making awesome stuff. I think the belovedness comes from the brand, really. If you think Tesla has sort of the tech bro brand where, you know, you live in Silicon Valley and you want an electric car, you know, they, they, they very intentionally curated a brand that was progressive people with money. And if you think about who that demographic is in today's world, it's largely the tech bros out of Silicon Valley. So I think, you know, you have the other side, which is Rivian's brand, which is the adventure bro. <laughs> You've got the, uh, I drive the truck, I go camping, I like hiking, I do all this outdoorsy stuff. And Tesla clearly does not capture that market. There are people that just could not imagine owning a Tesla because it is too techy. It's too... Uh, uh, sensitive or fancy or whatever, uh, which is kind of ironic if you think about people that really like luxury cars like Mercedes and, and Bentleys and stuff. But but I think they're basically, their brand represents a segment of the market that Tesla is not addressing at all. And that's where you get that belovedness and people putting up with delays or problems or whatever, right? So I think, you know, they, they rightly and smartly did exactly what Tesla did. They, they decided who their customer was and they went after it and they stuck to it. So them going public, them starting deliveries, I, I understand September is the current estimate. I, I'm still bearish. I'm not sure it's going to happen. We'll see. But definitely next year, we're going to see a lot of them, right? But at the same time, you start to see Ford with the, F1, um, the F-150 uh, Lightning. The challenge or the difference I would say between these two is one is very much geared towards the current truck owner and worker person that uses this for a function. And then you have the adventure kind. So I think of Rivian as sort of the California version where, yeah, I have a truck because it's convenient to throw my mountain bikes in the back or to throw my surfboard in the back. I don't necessarily need to throw lumber in there. I just do it because it's more convenient than having a car and trying to deal with however I would pull it in a car. 
So I think Rivian's on a good track. I think they've, like you said, have remained popular because, and I think it's because of the brand and the customer avatar that they've really focused on. And I, I wish them the best of luck. I mean, I don't know that right now, I, I'm certainly not going to buy my truck early on like I initially wanted to just because I'm putting so much money into our new house that, and we don't need an $80,000 truck. So we'll see uh, down the road. You know, I, I should be able to get a chance to drive one here in a little bit. And afterwards, you know, maybe my, my opinion will be changed, but I'm excited about it. Um, hopefully it gives them all the money they need. And like I said, I mean, I, I look at IPOs as kind of uh, smart people working hard at companies taking a chunk out of the institutional investor's pocket. <laughs> I don't really think it has any bearing on reality whatsoever. So that's an interesting point you make. So to put it into perspective, I just pulled up some data for General Motors. General Motors is worth $71 billion. They're 100 years old, or whatever it is, right? They've been around forever. At their height in 2016, they made 10 million cars. And even through a pandemic in 2020, they made 6.8 million cars, right? $71 billion. Rivian with two models and a fact and how many factories does GM have zero, how much capital zero right? cars. Yeah. So, um, I think the, pro I love the, the excitement and the fact that you're, you're pricing all this value early on. I'm, I'm okay with all that. Um, as a value investor. Yeah. I, I do kind of cringe at the idea of that kind of valuation, but the danger there really is what happened. So like lucid stock is really, really low right now. And they've, they've been through another, They've been through their own little challenge with the SPAC and not that the height of that whole thing, uh, the fiasco last year. But with Rivian, what happens in a couple of months? What does their price look like in three or four months? What if the delays continue? January comes around, they're still delayed. And it's probably going to happen because there's a chip shortage. Everybody's delayed. There's nobody's, you know, building cars has become increasingly difficult right now for everybody. And so, I mean, who's going to have a better opportunity to get these kinds of materials, the OEMs like GM that buy them by the millions or um, smaller startups. So there's going to be challenges. And so when you price in so much value up front like this, there's, I mean, who knows where the price will be in a couple of months, but long-term awesome company. They've got really good fundamentals. I think they've got a good engineering lead and, and design. Clearly their platform is good enough to build Amazon trucks, which I think is going to be the future. We're going to have increasingly a, a delivery lifestyle where everything is delivered to us and brick and mortar kind of disappears as it's kind of already been happening. So oh, I hate that. I hate I, that. Yeah. I don't know how I feel about it, but I do feel it's inevitable. I mean, could you imagine renting out a space to, to start a brick and mortar store today? Yes. Knowing that like 100%. California could shut you down uh, for the Delta variant tomorrow or, you know, you, yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it's tough. Well, it's I'll, tough. I'll tell you what though. So, so here, here's my thesis on that. Uh, I don't mind brick and mortar stores that serve no unique value or add any, culture or art to a city like i don't care if uh you know best buy disappears or whatever because those things are, are are easily replaceable but the the little mom and pop shops that sell the handmade goods from the local artists i, I actually feel like those are are doing very well because it it's it sucks that we're all the same because we all buy everything on amazon that's not like like me, and this is maybe just my perspective on it, but I really love that brick and mortar in terms of the uniqueness is still exists. And I don't see Amazon or any of these guys really uh, replacing that. There's something that's just magical about visiting a town you've never been to, 
dropping into a little store that has local handmade goods and finding something amazing. We were in uh, we were in Nicaragua and we went to the town of Granada and we in this you know we found this this store that made these bags that Jenny just fell in love with right and and those kind of things and if those were on Amazon and those were there there wouldn't be a story there would be nothing special about it so us personally like and I've we've actually talked I mean I've I've been trying to talk Jenny to open a store for a long time. But yeah, like I would love to have a little brick and mortar where we go in, we have uh, people, foot traffic that comes by, you've got your, your, your consistent customers that come in, they come and go and, and your, your life is simple and easy and you're providing value to a community. I, I think the big box stuff is where it's harder and harder to justify a staples or a Walmart, you know. But that said, like I've been doing a lot of hackery stuff lately with this uh, helium hotspot miner I have in the back here. And... I can't tell you how badly I miss Radio Shack right now of all the little adapters and things, <laughs> you know, so, so I, I guess, I, I don't know. I, I think uh, some things, yeah, like no one really cares to go buy cat litter, right? I don't really need, <laughs> like I can have that <laughs> delivered, right? But anything else, I, I, I enjoy the retail experience. So, so I don't know. Yeah. I, I guess I have a different view on that. No, I, you make a really good point. Dusty Green says, I think the future of brick and mortar will be entertainment, culture, and community-based. I, I actually really agree. And you're, you're totally yeah. right. There is such a joy. We you know, live in San Diego and working all the time and having kids. It's easy to kind of lose sight of it. But we try to go out and go to like farmer's markets or go to like, you know, little things on the weekend. And going to little shops in all these different beach communities around San Diego, it's such a fun thing. And you're right. They're not selling something you can just buy on Amazon. They're selling unique, different types of, of things. And so we all, as consumers, we get to vote with our wallets. So if you want to see the future, have brick and mortar, cool boutique stores, we got to frequent them and visit them. And I, I think during the pandemic, now that things are opening up again and people are traveling and stuff, I think that that will definitely happen. But you're right. I, I don't think we need brick and mortar for the things that we can just conveniently get online um paper towels toilet paper right. on, just have it draw i just take up so much space i don't care to go there and deal right. with that right but it's yeah. not an experience that you're interested in but yeah when you find a cool shirt or bag or whatever thing that is is unique and and then when someone else sees this that's ah, great what is it oh I, I found it at this place it was made by this person like it's i just there's something really human about that and i really love that right like i, I hate the uh digitization and uh, an anonymization of everything of just, I don't know, I went on Etsy and clicked a button and bam, it's here. Like, no, 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 no. Let's connect and be local and be, you know, uh, groups of actual animals together <laughs> again, you know, because I, I just something great about that feeling. So a couple of things, Eric Kessler, thank you so much for the super chat. He says, haha, Ricky, tell Matt to get well soon. Oh yeah. I miss Radio Shack too. My wife says, there is a Radio Shack in Santee. We drove by one. I don't know if oh, it's really? like a full. I don't know if it's a full fledged Radio Shack or if it's like one of these little express oh, things. But Santee, check it out. You should definitely check it out. Uh, you yeah, might be surprised. If it's there, I'm in. Yeah. 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 And uh, Bong Hollywood, who's an electrical engineer, he works on like airframe stuff. He says uh, contact him. He can hook you up with all those kinds of co component level stuff that aren't easy to get. Uh, he's he's in Santee as well. Um, oh, Hobby Town Radio Shack is that the same thing? Hobby Town Radio Shack, it says. Okay. I think I think I think that's right. Yeah, maybe it's some sort of a joint venue. I'm, I'm not sure. I'm not huh. exactly sure. Um, <laughs> Let's go check it out. Cool. Exactly. All right. So the next one, I'm really, I'm I'm really glad to take glad that you're here for this one and to get your insight on it. It is about Tesla's full self driving. 
there was a little bit of a, a study that shows that the uptake, the number of people who actually get full self-driving in their Tesla is lower than they might have thought. So the worldwide uptake, they're saying, is around in, you know, it's been up earlier. In 2019, it was up to around 46%. And the way I attribute this is this wow. is the early adopters. These are the guys that love tech that, you know, hit update every second they can to get all the latest and greatest stuff. But once the early adopters got their cars and then more just, I need a car, Tesla looks cool, I'm going to get one. As more of those late curve adapters come along, the numbers have dropped. So now it's around 11% as of Q2 2021. And there's a really cool, I thought there was a little chart, I'll look for it, um, that talks about this breakdown by model and, and various other factors. But people can think of this as one of two ways. One is, well, that just means there's a whole lot of people who have Teslas who could be a future revenue stream for Tesla because they haven't opted in. And maybe the skeptic or the critic might say, why is the number so low? Is the value not as high as Tesla makes it out to be? Hmm. Um, and I will, I will chime in on that, but I'd love to hear what, uh, hear what you have to think. You've, do you have FSD so, on your cards? You've had every Tesla you, they've ever made. Do you have you yeah, had yeah. FSD? Mm -hmm. Yeah, we have it on both cars, um, yeah. and, and I'll explain why. But it, where did they get this data from? Did Tesla provide this, or is this a survey? It of... was a it was a survey of sixteen thousand owners. So take take mm. take and it you with said, what you well, will. Being the data person, yeah, you are. yeah, it's 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 a limited well, scope. And you said worldwide. So is FSD available outside of the U.S.? I know it's not available in Europe. Like, is it available in China? Question. I'm going to try to dig into this a little yeah. bit um, and see so, so if I, I just wonder what context. Yeah. So if, if they limited it to, say, of the people that it could even possibly have it, this percentage of people chose not to, 90 or 89. I don't want to be offensive to anyone. I, I don't know what the rules are. If you want to survey people in China, does the government have a say in whether or not they can answer that survey? And how does that data get, I mean, if you look at even in Europe, GDPR rules, where does that data go and how can you get it? You can't just really ask people these things in an invasive way. So I'm I'm skeptical of, of the data collection, I guess is my first thought. Uh, but let's let's assume that, that, that it's right. 11% take rate. Um, that's That seems high to me uh, <laughs> because FSD itself doesn't, uh, in, in, so I'll, I'll give you, you know, my cynical view on it is that it should be zero percent. This is a completely useless piece of software that I don't recommend anyone uh, install or buy or pay a dollar for because it adds no value. The only person I think that should ever do it are people that have some financial incentive to do it or they are just a hardcore geek and want to learn and test so I would imagine that take rate, if I were to guess what it should be, should be around 5% or less. Now, I have it on both cars for the reason I mentioned. There's a financial incentive for us. For a while, FSD meant you got certain features. And with my job being someone that makes content for a living, these features equal dollars, right? So being having these features and being able to make this content is, is purely a commercial decision. If I was... Uh, didn't have this job and want to share these things and see how it worked, I, I would absolutely not spend a dollar on any of this. I do enjoy the driver assist features of autopilot, the very basic keep me in my lane, speed up, slow down. And even that I would say I use 20 to 30% of the time that I, it is available to me. 
And, and, and I'm sorry, not even when it's available, but like on freeways where it's designed to be used. I use it very sparingly, very rarely. You know, with my wife's in the car, 0% chance I'm using it. If anyone else is in the car, 0% chance I'm using it unless they're there to see it and they're curious about it. So I have a very bearish view on FSD at all. And the notion that this thing will somehow go off and make you millions of dollars, anybody that believes that, I will sell you both of my cars right now for a great discount, right? 250K each, right? They are available. If you think that this car will make you millions of dollars being an FSD, whatever, I'm here. You can have it today. Uh, I think that's pure nonsense. I think it's a complete kind of lie. Uh, you know, I could be wrong, but I don't see full self-driving as even worth pursuing from Tesla's standpoint. I think it's a distraction from the mission, honestly. Um, autopilot, driver assist, basic stuff, good, great. I would leave it there. So what's really funny is you have FSD in both your cars and your view is such, and I don't have FSD we're toying with the idea of getting a Model Y, and I wouldn't get FSD on that either. I just, it just, it's just not a financially a, a decision I'd want to make. But I do see the value in it a little bit. But okay, there's a couple things that you mentioned. The first is this million dollar robo taxi thing. I've seen that on Twitter. There are so many people who who go on Twitter and they'll say, um, "Hey, I'm getting a Tesla. Should I get FSD?" And then you'll see like the Tesla faithful chiming in, and they'll be like, "Oh, you have to get it because the price is going to go up." Um, yeah, which if you have money, right, if you have a lot of money, do 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 as you will. There is some great I think sure. it was somebody in the in the comment section in the past said buying FSD is kind of like the ultimate Kickstarter for a future where cars can drive themselves. And I do think that way. I think Tesla's got one of the smartest teams. They're doing some amazing stuff. So if you have the money for it, I have no problem with that. My problem is there are people who are scraping to like get into like a SR plus Model 3 who, who yeah. might be able to afford it. And they're wondering should I get the long range or get the standard range and get FSD? And to me, that's a no-brainer. Mm. you got to get yeah. the long range because there's just too many reasons why you want the extra battery capacity. And FSD now is, you know, monthly. You can turn it on and off and a million different things. <clears throat> yeah, I'm, I'm torn. I don't think it's completely useless. There, there is, so the argument, so Ben, I'll play the, uh, the major FSD proponent and let's see how, uh, okay. what your responses are, right? First of yeah. all, car utilization. Your car right now is parked doing nothing. So is mine, right? So is everybody in the stream. They're just sitting there. And 90 plus percent of a car's life is spent just rusting on a driveway. But something like FSD and robo taxis, again, it, it does seem like it's far off. But whenever that future would be possible, you can't get there until you invest in building it. That could change. Suddenly your car, when you and I are here talking, could be picking up and dropping people off and being better utilized, lowering the requirement for the number of cars that we have to manufacture. What, what do you, how do you, uh, what do you say to that? Well, I think your logic is sound. I just don't follow the timeline uh, or the lifespan of the vehicle. So I don't see this happening within 10 to 15 years. And I don't see myself keeping this car within 10 for that period of time. And by then, cars will be wildly different. And if we're making robo-taxi-specific cars, guaranteed they will have different features that make the robo-taxi aspect of it much more comfortable and convenient. Imagine sitting in the back of a car when you wouldn't need a front seat at all. I, I just think that by the time we get there, it's so far off that it would be a completely different animal. So giving them money for it now is a complete waste. But... In general, the theory of what you have, I think, is sound. And if, if at all, that 
comes to fruition, I think it would be a great thing. I, I think maybe Waymo is a good example of this, where the car doesn't look like a fancy car that you would want to buy and drive. It's just a people mover. It's big and easy to get into and comfortable, et cetera, et cetera. So I think in, you know, Waymo, you could argue is self-driving or not. I, I, I don't know if you saw Derek's video, Veritasium, but it's level four. There might be a human uh, person operate or not operating, but uh, monitoring the situation. It is geofenced, so it certainly doesn't meet the level five requirement of it can just go anywhere. Like it could be raining and snowing out, and it doesn't care, and you can drive anywhere. So it doesn't definitely doesn't meet level five, but it definitely does meet the level four requirement of it is driving people around given the right conditions. So I, I, I like the idea. I, I don't know, especially in this country, if that would ever reduce the amount of cars on the road. We are a car-driven uh, economy and society here in the U.S. Our, in fact, if you look at the history of how that even came to be and how highways were built and roads were built, I, I don't see that changing just because you no longer have to own a car. Maybe Uber will, will all of a sudden be, making, be a lot more profitable. But I don't. I don't. I personally don't see, at least in this country, the number of cars going down and the time horizon on there is so far out. That's where. That's really what it is. It's not that it's not possible, but it's just twenty years from now, thirty years from now, maybe. So fine. In twenty or thirty years, I'll you know I'll eat my hat or whatever. <laughs> right. But as of now, so, so that would be my main argument is that I just don't see it happening. So it's kind of just like throwing money away. Okay, so the the comment section is definitely more lively now, which I kind of figured it would be. Um, so I'll start with this. My my philosophy is that like full self driving cars. My my window is like by twenty thirty, we'll definitely have it. I think actually by twenty thirty, it'll be a commodity, meaning it won't even be special. No one's gonna talk about it. It'll be like uh, wow. wireless charging on your phone. No one makes commercials going now iPhone fifteen with wireless charging because it's just it's ubiquitous and a commodity, and I think that's gonna happen. Um, so the yeah, within nine years, I think this problem can be solved for sure. Um, and I think it's going to radically change the nature of our interactions on the road. Potentially, I mean, it's going to make us safer, right? The, the the human factor really is what's kind of the problem in most situations. It's people being distracted and, and all that. So um, my, my argument has always been there might be even more than just one car by itself. There might be this community approach where we have like, car-to-car -car communications and some other protocols that we need to establish or other yeah, things. Yeah, I like that. We don't, I mean, the, we'll see how that all plays out. But I think it's well worth investing in that. There was a, the last time we had this chat about this, there was a gentleman who came on and, and mentioned that he has a handicap that permits him from driving. So his level of autonomy in his life is drastically reduced. He has to, he can't even just call Uber because most Ubers don't have like handicap access. So his life would completely change if his car could drive itself if he could mm. go take his tesla or some other model whatever the case was and get it retrofitted and then have it drive itself he could just go in and say take me to the zoo and it'll just go to the library or zoo or whatever the case might be that could be revolutionary and game-changing so i think the the value is there and i i do think we're going to have it i mean do you have any doubt that we're going to all have self-driving cars one day i think we can maybe debate or disagree on the date but we're going to have self-driving cars, right? Is there, do you doubt that? Uh, I think it depends on at what level you're talking about. Um, like four or five where about, there's no steering wheel, where you, you just hop in. Yeah. And... I, I, I don't know if I'll see that in my lifetime. 
Yeah. Really? Uh, assuming I live a normal lifespan. Yeah. I, I, I don't, I'm not as confident that we'll see cars without steering wheels that people like, why would you buy a car if it, if it, what is the purpose of owning it in this scenario? There is none. You can just click a button and have one come to you. And there was a study done about New York City with Uber and that it was supposed to reduce traffic and it increased traffic. There are more cars now because there's more people with Ubers trying to get in there and do stuff. So I, I, I don't know if all of these uh, these theories we have about the changes that we could realize will play out exactly as we as we expect. Because first off, there's well, the, the main thing is you're talking about humans and humans uh, buying things and using things, which the whole field of behavioral economics purely exists because there was a radical idea that humans are irrational when it comes to buying things. I know it sounds crazy, but there's a whole field of study solely designed around this, where if you look at the economic side of it or the math side of it, you're like, this is what you should do, but people always do this, right? Apple will change the the bezel on the, on the, the phone from square to round, and oh my God, I got to have it. Completely irrational, right? So I, I don't know. Uh, yeah, I, I'm not sure we'll see level f- true level five. I'm not sure we'll see it in in my lifetime. Uh, will it ever happen? Sure, uh, you know. But ever or forever or fifty years or hundred years is is impossible to guess any of these things. Level four, like I said, you, you we already have it. It's Waymo. They're doing it. There's companies in Europe that are doing it. It does exist. But level four, the key difference, if I understand and correct me if I'm wrong, because I know you, you've looked into this probably more than I have, the key difference between level four and five is level four is like certain conditions have to be met. Then it can be self-driving. And so that, now, for, for I think there's, there will be so many different levels too. Like imagine a college campus with little shuttle buses running around. That You could do that today. That's not even hard. If you think about it, you're pre-programming the route and you just load it up with sensors and Make sure it doesn't go above five miles an hour or whatever the case is. There's, there's, there will be applications for this thing that aren't you owning one and you get in and say, take me to Las Vegas, and it goes 90 miles an hour down the freeway. I think that's an extreme use case that is, that is very difficult to, uh, to, to try to achieve. But it doesn't mean, I guess what I'm saying is, I, I, it, it's not that the road along the way won't have fruit for us to eat. There will be a lot of things and a lot of benefits to it as we get there. I don't know if this vision that Tesla's laid out and that Elon has literally sold to people will ever come a reality. Gotcha. Okay. Um, I was thinking about a couple of things. You mentioned about utilization levels and the fact that when you build more roads, there's more traffic, which is counterintuitive. This is a fantastic study that I've definitely read as well. And I agree with you on that. I don't think... So, um, Telesto in the chat... Uh, uh, mentioned, I don't think people will own cars in the future. It just won't make sense. You'll just get the robo taxi for, you know, pennies yeah, on the co- mile. Type completely of thing. disagree. Completely disagree. Disagree. Yeah. So P- people still own horses. Yeah. Okay. So that that's true. Not not much, but yeah, people just don't. I actually think it, not much. Thousands and thousands of people. I mean, right. there's equestrian trails all over the place. Uh, it's it's not uncommon for people to own horses in certain parts of the world. So the, so the yeah. uh, the view that people won't own cars, I would say, is a very biased perspective towards progressive thinking and city living and those kind of things. Right. There will always be people wrenching on hot rods. I mean, as there are today. 
You know, there's people with cars that have naturally aspirated carburetors and like the technologies that are terrible and just garbage, but people love to do it. There will always be cars. People will always own them. They will always work on them. Think, think about rich rebuilds, not owning a car. Are you kidding me? If he can't rip it apart and rebuild it. So, so I, I, I completely disagree with that, that notion yeah. that we won't own cars. I would say maybe a younger generation or fewer people will own cars, but it's just hard to imagine that, that people, I, I, I don't think that will actually happen. So if you, Today, you can make the argument that the choice to buy a car is a function of how much money you make, how much a car would cost. I mean, insurance and all the other factors that go into it. And you could say, well, why don't you just take Uber? Well, Uber is not cheap. It's expensive, too, especially lately. I, I did the math on my last trip. Uber was more than a taxi. I don't even use it anymore because I feel like it was exploitative. Uh, you know, it exploited the drivers back when it first launched. It was so dirt cheap and everyone loved it. And then now they're yeah. actually having to pay the piper and like really paying the true cost. And now the costs are so high that taxis seem like a bargain. So that's a different question kind of. But um, my point is, imagine if there was self like driving car taxis and the price came down at such a level, how would that inf inf uh, affect buyers of cars and stuff? I will say as a, as a person with kids, you've got two boys, I've got two boys. Car seats are the reason why we can't take Uber. We actually have to either drive our car to the airport or have a friend drive our car or call a friend who has a car with car seats to drop us off and stuff because you, you can can't, you're not going to get an Uber with two car it. seats in it. We we just did it. We we just went to Oregon and we called an Uber, the Uber XL, so it had extra space. And we we brought our car seats. Brought our car seats. And then okay. yeah, and so we installed them in the car when the guy got, showed up. And then when we got to Oregon, we actually had a Turo and we installed them there. And so you know, we had so imagine well. then you're it's Saturday. You and Jenny are going to get up and or we're going to go somewhere and go to the mall and walk around. Think about how much of a headache that would be to not own your own car, right? Car ownership is super convenient for people with kids. So yeah, I, I also disagree. Even if we, if my car was full self-driving, I would still want to own it because there's just so much value in being able to park everything in there to take it somewhere. And it's almost like a little mobile hotel room, a mobile house when you're on the on the on the on the go, and you can keep it yeah. for road trips and everything else. Well, like and for people who can afford it, about, it's not cost prohibitive anyway. Th think about people trying to escape Hurricane Ida, and if you don't own a car, you literally are not going anywhere. And all the other cars are taken up by other people. And guess what? We don't have enough cars for everyone. Uh, there's all kinds of problems with this. And and again, it, you could argue, again, as the person was saying about the cost of it being so dramatically cheaper, fine. What you're talking about is a rational consumer, which does not exist. People don't care about the things. Why, why would anyone, you know, spend an absurd amount of money? Like, why would why would anyone buy a car that is not just the most basic thing? Why would you buy a Mercedes over a Tesla or whatever? It, it it comes down to your identity and the brand and the style and all this stuff. Like we are, we make a, we make buying and purchasing decisions on emotion, not on facts and data, unfortunately. But you know, so so you know, there's there's reasons owning a family. There's humans not being rational at all. That's why I'm just like I don't see it. I don't see a world at all that is like devoid of cars, unless there is something that's not a car that comes out, right? Like how when cars came out and wiped out horses as trans for, for transportation, that was like, oh, this is not a horse. It wasn't just a bigger, better horse, right? What we're talking about is a bigger, better car. If there was something that wasn't a car, that could that I could see that wiping out car culture, but I don't see it happening at all, just being a, a better self-driving car or whatever. Yeah, that's that's one of the things I was reading the comment section 
Um, Eric Kessler says, uh, Amen, Ben. If my baby sis can have her horse, then I can keep my manual transmission GTI or 911. Yeah, those are special manual, manual transmission cars or special things that you want to keep even. Yeah, but there's there's always going to be that group. But I'm almost just thinking more generally. I have, I've always said I think FSD and full self-driving cars aren't going to get rid of car ownership. Anybody who can afford a car, I think, will continue to feel the value of having a car. Now I can just sit in the back seat and have my car drive for me. I don't think, like for me, if you told me, hey, the next Tesla is going to be self-driving, I would want it and I would buy it. I don't think that I would suddenly stop owning a car. But I think what we will probably do is a couple of things. One is, how about public transit? Buses are massive. You know, like right now they're gasoline yep. or diesel, natural gas. They're just eyesores. They idle. We have electric ones here. What's we that? have electric buses in, in San do. Diego. But yeah. yeah, but some places, it depends on where you live, um, right. of course. But right. but they're, they sit around idling. They're just emitting pollution and they're huge. They're massive. Imagine if like, especially like step one has to be electric. You don't want gas powered self-driving cars because they have all the same problems, I think, um, long term. And Electric vehicles are so reliable, require so little maintenance that they can really be utilized, put hundreds of thousands of miles a month uh, very easily. But imagine you have cars that just are just driving around, picking up people, dropping off people, cities, rural, whatever the case might be. They could displace buses, I think, and subways and all the public transit yeah. much more quickly than they would replace car ownership. But to your point, to sit here with our crystal balls and predict this stuff, it, it's everybody's own opinion and guess. We'll see. Time will tell. But also, I think remote work... COVID has, has kind of shifted the thinking that we don't all have to be cr cramped on top of each other. Maybe we move out into the rural areas. So like, for example, rent in SF in New York is cheaper than it was. And where we live, 10 minutes, like Ben and I live, you know, a couple of miles from downtown San Diego. I'm about 10 miles. Our housing values are skyrocketing because people have the same idea. Let's get some space and some land and I can work from my laptop uh, with the internet. So there's going to be some trends, it, I think, in play. For sure. Yeah, I, I'm. I'm in. You know, I'll say that I'm a big proponent of public transit. I I, I really love it. So, in in to just put you know my money where my mouth is, uh, I spent a year in Phoenix before I moved to San Diego, not driving a car at all. I took public transit and rode my bike everywhere. Now, one thing, if you guys know Phoenix at all, it's completely flat. So it's very easy to do this. You can ride for 10, 15 miles and not even break a sweat unless it's hot out. But point being, I'm a huge fan of public transit. And then my first five years living in San Diego, I lived near a coaster station and I took public transit, the train, and then, you know, little shuttle buses to my work and back every single day. So I barely even drove my first five years living here. So I went almost six years, almost entirely relying on public transit. I did try to ride my bike more in San Diego, but it's very hilly. And I'm not talking, I'm talking Lance Armstrong when he was all doped up hilly. Like this isn't, <laughs> <laughs> this isn't just a like, oh, that's, that's a little hill. No, it's like, I'm not going to make it up that. So I'm a big proponent of that. And anytime, you know, me and my family or myself travel to cities that have not even, I don't even want to say good, but existing public transit, we are, we take it. San Francisco, I take the BART, I take Caltrain, it, it, Caltrain, it's, it's all the time. Paris is my favorite place to take the train. It's clean, it's beautiful, it's always running. I, I, I think public transit in the right setting works great. But as you said, we have this kind of great migration away from cities, which I don't think will last. I think people will all come back. I think we're going to quickly forget everything that, that we're trying to learn here. That's just my cynical view of human behavior. But 
uh, so there's a lot of people living in more rural areas, like you said, and public transit there just doesn't exist. It just doesn't make sense. You know, there are there are there will always be use cases for all these things, but I, I don't I don't personally see it changing that much unless we get the you know anti gravity magic flying car thing or whatever some something else that you're just like oh this is cars are totally stupid now you know yeah I, I think for me the the staple or like the the best example of public transportation is Japan um, mm. <laughs> their shinkansen system is ridiculous in I've ten days been. in Japan covering from like north to south of Japan, I think the entirety of the trip, we had two minutes in total delays from when it said the train was leaving in 10 days yep. and like uh, like 25 hop-ons, hop-offs, two-minute delays total. Um, absurdly incredible. But the thing is, Japan is not even like the size of California. And we, yep. I feel like in Cal- we would never get this figured out in California. I don't know what it is about the U.S. lately. It just feels like the, the price tags to get any sort of public initiatives done has grown to the point where... I, cynically, I almost doubt that if we try to do the Hoover Dam today, it, it's not happening. Um, and I don't know why that is and why other people seemingly are able to have great public works and we seemingly seem to fail at it. But yeah, there's there's got to be some answer. And I, I really think the self-driving car could help with that. You mentioned rural settings. You're not going to likely have billion dollar infrastructure for a town of 5,000 people or like a couple of rural yeah. stops, it just, it, it would never pay for itself. So we would always have to have cars. Right. Um, and, and self-driving would definitely kind of factor into that. I think we're kind of touching on like the future of everything. <laughs> we're basically putting on our Nostradamus hats and trying to predict what the future will look like. And that's going to be difficult, but there are, there are some changes on the horizon. And I think self-driving is one of those things that's going to be, um, well, clearly, I think you're 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 thinking it might not even happen in your lifetime. I'm thinking it, it's going to happen pretty quick. From the people, I don't know if you've talked with people or been in a car, an FSD beta car. Uh, it's pretty impressive. My feedback from the few people I've I've spoken with and I've spent time with is, it's really impressive. There are some m- mistakes it'll make that are kind of crazy, and you got to be alert. But like eighty percent, it's incredibly impressive. You know, it'll stop and wait at a yield for somebody walking across the camera, which. Uh, mm-hmm. I spoke with Raj, Tesla Raj, and he was saying there was a point where he's at a stop and he's like, why is the car taking so long? And he, he had to look over and there was like an old man crossing the street and the car saw it and it was just waiting. And as soon as he cleared, the car takes off. I mean, it's inc- when you have that kind of field of view and stuff, it's, it's incredible what hard challenges for us are easy for the computer. But sometimes it's kind of the opposite where easy things that we would just notice are what they struggle with and, and vice versa. But the level of progress is massive. I mean, we could spend hours talking about Dojo and all the stuff that they have planned for how they... Uh, somebody in the comment section mentioned it's been exponential, their their uh, progress. Imagine four years ago, you probably had a Model S four years ago, I'd imagine. Mm-hmm. And did you have FSD or whatever that equivalent was back then? Didn't exist. Didn't exist back then. Okay, whatever yeah. it was then till now. But I mean, like, it's been hockey stick. It's been it's been an exponential level of improvement. You know, and it sure. will probably continue to but- do so. But but it's machine learning, right? And and you know this stuff. So it, it's not an instruction set that just always gets better. And there are other unforeseen problems that come with it. Like, are you familiar with what fleet speed is? Have you ever witnessed this? I, it's funny. I mentioned this in a video and I got so many comments. Uh, so here in San Diego, uh, 805 freeway going south through Sorrento Valley. It's busy every day at 3 o'clock. If you happen to be driving through that that section section of freeway at that time and it's not busy your car will still slow down even even if there's no traffic whatsoever 
It's because the model, the machine learning algorithms, assume that it is going to be slow there. And this is actually kind of a very widespread problem in the Tesla fleet. So there's there's all kinds of other challenges that come out. It's not like here's the new version. It's a hundred. It's going to be better in every case. It's 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 almost like a Rubik's cube where like you get one side solved and now the other side is messed up. So so it's I think you know uh, for for example autopilot for us I barely trust and it has if anything maintained or gotten worse over the years. Um, it's not something that I'm comfortable with at all. Phantom braking, uh, turning at random points. I mean, it's just not good. And I've had every car they make and every level of computer chip and everything. And and it's just, it's so for me, I look at FSD, FSD beta, I'm like, absolutely not. Am I getting in that car? Definitely not. And to me, again, the whole thing that frustrates me about it with Tesla is that they're pouring so much time and energy into this and it is not helpful to the mission. It is not about getting cleaner cars on the road and reducing trans, uh, emissions. It's about being, you know, doing this other thing. And I don't know what the motiva- motivation would be. Make more money? Seems odd that Tesla's motivation would be profit. It clearly is in some ways. But to me, that's where this whole thing goes off the rails. And I just look at it and go, what if we only focus instead of, if we just focus on the basic driver assist stuff, getting rid of phantom braking, getting rid of fleet speed, getting rid of some of the challenges for the basic stuff, and we really focused on, say, customer service or operations or invoicing or all the things that really seem to plague a company that makes beautiful and amazing products, the business side needs so much love. And and I just look at it and go, people buy these cars, they have quality issues. Like my brother just returned his Tesla. He absolutely hated it. He said every single month something was breaking and they were terrible when I had to deal with them. These are the things that destroy brands. And so as great as Tesla is in making these wonderful products and they really are second to none. I just drove the Plaid yesterday. It's, it's, just, it's just out of this world. I really... If, if I if I could wave a magic wand and, and be Elon for a day, I would say, hey, yeah, keep pushing on FSD, but that's definitely not a top priority. Top priority is customer service, it's operations, it's quality controls, all the things that are known problems. Like uh, there was a funny tweet that I saw someone say that where Japan um, – you know, conquered the, uh, the, the auto market by, by convincing everyone that quality was the number one priority. And then Tesla just absolutely destroyed that and created, that turned that into a myth. So, so I look at it as like, you have, you as a company, as a human, as everything, you're an organism, you have limited, you have a finite amount of resources that you can dedicate to things. And this whole thing to me seems like a distraction and a sideshow. Whereas if you just made not just the best products and the best electric vehicles on the road, but you were the best uh, quality of care and, and experience for the user, you would really get more people coming into the fold and really accelerate the transition. And, and that's still what I believe is the primary focus or what should be the primary focus. Yeah, it does seem FSD gets the the lion's share of the headlines. It, it's always the popular thing that they're talking about. Um, <clears throat> and I like FSD. I like that they're working on it. I, I think I'm a little more, I, I'm, I'm more in favor of it than you are. But at the same time, the reasons why I love my Tesla have nothing to do with FSD. It's all the electric stuff. It's the fact that I have a Model yeah. 3 performance that does 0 to 60 in like three seconds and cost me like $4 to fill up at home. And I never have to go to right. gas stations. And I've put 30,000 miles on it in like 18 months. Um, because I love it, and I, that, you know, I just love driving it. Um, and that stuff, I don't think they should probably talk more about all the cool stuff that they do. 
And also, they should probably like imagine when I, I, I'm curious how the the discussions will be about Tesla when the Cybertruck is out. Imagine when there's you know a hundred thousand Cybertrucks being produced a quarter or or more uh, in the near future, like maybe you yeah, know six imagine. months from now. <laughs> it's going to be insane. It's gonna, yeah. I mean, yeah, I don't know how you feel about the Cybertruck, but I mean, talk about really having some some cool options and availability if you're a truck person. Because right now, most car arguments are like, oh, if I'm a truck person, I can never get electric. But wait till one of your friends has a Cybertruck and the two of you, you know, you have like a Ford Raptor or something. You're going to feel pretty silly pretty quickly, especially with, you know, all the power and everything else. So, yeah, their their mission has always been to move the world to a more sustainable future. This is why we wanted to have you last week. Ben wasn't uh, Ben was busy last week. But we talked about this where is Tesla's mission still their mission? Are they kind of are they rerouting with robotics and stuff? I think they've been they've been uh, pushing themselves as a robotics company. That, that, which isn't to say that there isn't value there. For example, we, one of my arguments last week was there's all these things that we can't do today because they're not commercially viable. Like recycling, we don't we don't recycle. It's a it's a great scam. We don't recycle because it's just yeah. there's no money in it, and no one's gonna do stuff and not make money. We, like to your point about power, um, I, I met with a company that's doing battery manufacturing and recycling some various things, and what they all talk about is. Like when we purify graphite, for example, there's all these impurities. If we, if it was commercially viable, we could take these impurities and sell them as, you know, all, uh, vanadium and all uh, molybdenum and all these different elements that are valuable. But the problem is, is there's no market because it costs too much. But if you had robotics yeah. or you had some sort of a autonomous machine that could do various tasks, it just imagine what kind of things could suddenly be possible commercially uh, and and be economically profitable. So. That to me is, I think that's kind of a very broad picture of sustainability, but I, I do see what they're kind of aiming towards. My hope though is focus on making cars, like everything else, robotics and self-driving, that's great, but we really need to have a path to like cleaner vehicles, transportation. We need power packs, you know, the the, the Tesla power story. That's a fantastic one. That really rivals the the CO2 reductions of cars, if and maybe even more, more so. So yeah. It, it's kind of just a question of priorities. There's only one Tesla. If we had 10 Teslas out there, how right. cool would that be? We could have one do robotics and one focus on cars and this and that. But there's just one. So I think this beloved company that most people, I'm, I'm thinking, look at the chat, most people really love. Um, it's just a question of how they prioritize their resources, which are not finite, yeah. uh, not infinite. Yeah, that's, that's exactly, you know, anytime I seem angry or mad at Tesla, it's, or Elon, it's because I, I love uh, the just cause that they've championed of transitioning the world to sustainable energy is one that is like near and dear to my heart. And I am so passionate about it. it I try to do everything in, in my world, in my work to, to try to try to do the same thing to further that mission. And so when I see it's all these resources being poured into things that are seemingly unrelated and distracting from it. That's when I get really upset about it, you know, and, and frustrated because you look at it and you go, what are you doing here? Because sure, Elon is a madman billionaire and he, he has earned the right to create a humanoid robot or do whatever the hell he wants. But don't spend company resources in time on things when you have these glaring, tremendous problems that are turning people away every single day. That's the thing that I can't stand. It's it's like uh, it's like somebody starting a, a workout regimen, but they're like, you know, going to up their 
how many cigarettes they smoke a day. You're like, how about we just stop smoking cigarettes first, right? How about we start doing the basic things that will help us become a, a, a better company, which then attracts more and, you know, creates growth in all these other areas. Uh, and, and, you know, it's just, it's, it's really frustrating. Like if you look back, I remember, was it 2019? Uh, Elon had a big thing about uh, all these terrible customer service stories that were coming out and quality controls and all this stuff. And just be, they were just getting raked over the coals uh, in, in every which way in the media. And and Elon came out and said, this is going to be my number one priority. I think it was an earnings call or something. I'm I'm not going to rest until all the customer service is, is, is fixed and we have the best customer service of any company in the world. And it just absolute, like, lies like it was just none of that came true and you know because the next thing there's a shiny new object over here let me make the cyber truck great okay cool yeah great i do think we need an electric truck i think cyber truck has its place i think it's definitely doing a thing but dude fix your shit like <laughs> there's there are so many other problems that you could you could make better and so like when i get frustrated or angry or cynical about this that's why it's because the mission that they've championed is so near and dear to to my heart and in my life that when i see people doing things there it's just it's infuriating you know you're going what are you doing you know and and this is why also i applaud other companies that seem to really be giving giving it their all. Like Ford, I think is doing a tremendous job. You know, I've driven all their cars and all the electric ones and all doing all the things. And I'm like, yes, you guys are killing it. You know, I don't care. I'm, I'm with Chelsea Sexton on this. I don't care about, you know, the water under the bridge. If you're, if, you know, whatever it took you soul searching, whatever, to get to this point of, oh, we need to make everything electric and go hard on it. Cool. Welcome to the party. Let's, let's go. Uh, I don't really, you know, th- that stuff doesn't bog me down as, as it does some other people. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, the whole thing, man, it's so it has Tesla lost its way. It certainly appears to be that uh, it has their mission changed. That's the big question, you know, because if so, then I think you'll lose a ton of people. You know, if our mission is just like make cool shit, then it's like, sorry, I can't get behind that. <laughs> you know, I can't pour my work and my life and my energy and my dollars towards something that that isn't something that I associate my my own identity with, you know. Really, really good point, Ben. So, uh, Krista Kent, uh, Kentar says people who fix customer support can't make the car safer and more efficient. So this is definitely a, uh, an Elon mantra. Elon, one thing I do love about Elon as an engineer myself is he cuts out a lot of other things and is like, look, hire engineers and Tesla's, I can't prove this, but I bet you Tesla's percentage of engineers as a function of like total job op- op- opportunities or availabilities at Tesla is probably higher than any company on earth by a margin. Um, you'd be shocked. I got a tech company, like a software company. What percent of people are it's developers? All lawyers. It's sh- shocking. Yeah. Like, right. It's crazy. And uh, it's a, it's a shame because really what that's really what we probably should be focusing on. Uh, but Chris, I mentioned in the chat and I, I already wrote it in. Uh, I, I hear her point, but I will say this. I get, I've probably gotten a hundred emails from Tesla car owners or solar uh, buyers who've asked me like, can you please help me? I've like, for example, the latest one was a gentleman named Jonathan, who I had a chance to meet uh, here in San Diego, which is always cool when I get to meet my viewers. But he emailed me because after seven months of waiting, he could not get his solar turned on. He could, he was, it was completely getting ghosted by the Tesla rep. It was kind of like they got most of it set up, but they weren't fully permitted to turn on. 
And he was just like, Ricky, could you please help me get this thing going? So I will say this, if anybody has solar issues, I now do have a couple of really great contacts. I emailed this guy and he had a solar up in two weeks. It was like, he got in touch with him like two days later and Jonathan, he, he became a patron. He was so happy. So my point yeah, is it like shouldn't be emailing YouTubers should not be your strategy, right? I agree with you on yeah, that. 100%. It should not be, this is what I'm saying. I mean, it, it, there, there's things about a great brand right and and you really lose it, it can't be okay so uh w edwards deming if you want to get into business philosophy created or coined you know wrote down this this notion of systems thinking or design thinking and and the whole concept is that uh, a company is a singular thing it is a singular unit uh like your body like i was talking about working out and chain smoking like these things don't don't work work together so you can't just load up nothing like this is you know to to your point if if that's true if they have all the best engineers in the world they will make the best engineered products which i don't doubt that they do i fully believe that they make the best electric vehicles i've ever been in and i've been in a fair amount of them so no doubt. But that one thing now forces the rest of your business to suffer. So you can make the cars safer, sure. But if people are so pissed off that they can't get an issue fixed or they're being treated poorly or they're being told to, to shove it because, you know, they said something on Twitter, or whatever. What's going to happen is these people are going to detract from the brand and you're going to lose market share and you're going, you know, it, you have to treat your whole organization as a singular thing. So if you increase sales, you need to increase customer service. If you increase, you know, that you need to, if you increase sales, you need to increase your financial support or operations. If you increase manufacturing, you need to increase your parts department and service department. They, they all have to grow and, and, and contract at the same pace. So that is the thing where I, I, I'm certain Elon doesn't think of it this way. He's not a businessman. He's an engineer, a brilliant one. And that's why I, for many years now, have advocated of him hiring a chief operations officer, somebody to run the business and take care of all this crap because he clearly doesn't want to, despite him saying it publicly. So sure, you know, we can pick out every little thing. Well, if you, if you hire that, you can't do this. If you do this, you can't do this. It's the game of whack-a-mole. And this is what so many companies deal with. And very few companies, but some of the best ones you know of, are the ones that treat it appropriately. Right where oh we're gonna we're gonna double iPhone production because sales look great. Hmm. We, we let's make sure we have enough Apple stores and appointments available because if somebody buys an iPhone and then their experience of owning the iPhone is absolute trash, they're gonna go buy an Android phone because at the end of the day, the feature set is very comparable. Tesla is, has has had the fortune of being so far ahead in the electric vehicle space that like buying another electric vehicle seemed absurd if you wanted to buy an electric vehicle. It seemed dumb. You, why would you do that? But now with companies like Rivian and Lucid and Ford and all these guys coming out with very compelling, very beautifully built products, I think you could really lose a lot of people. So the notion is we should be thinking of this organization as one that is marching towards a just cause that we all believe in. And we're doing it in a way that is sustainable for the business. You can't just have engineers in a company, right? It's great. I don't know. For the I'd engineering side. <laughs> well, yeah, but, but no one would stick around. They would yeah. buy one car and they'd be like, I'm out because you can't answer a damn email about a simple question, you know? 
Yeah. So, to, so that that to me is the whole thesis. And you I know, I've you. studied business stuff for so long that yeah, that's two, why I'm two, that two comments I wanted to point out. Stephen Smith says I'm not impressed with Ben's argument. He says where I live, service is great, quality on my Model X is superior, and the hope of FSD to enable us to drive in the advanced age is wonderful. So, Stephen, I think super happy to hear your experiences are awesome uh mine have been as well so my car I'm, i've had it for almost two years ben my model 3 performance so far the only thing that's happened and it was not it was really random the front liner so these cars are very aerodynamic they have a full underbody cover there's this like felt piece that somehow hit the ground so i had to just i've zip tied it until i can go get it to a dealership for for service it's like a t- tiny nothing other than that in thirty thousand miles my car has been perfect i don't have rattles my body gaps were good I have had a perfect Tesla experience so far, and I hope anybody who has as well, like, share that too. We can't, so part of, uh, so Ben will attest to this, the, 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 the squeaky wheel gets the grease, right? People who have a great experience never go and say, hey, another, mile, another year where nothing bad happened. All you hear on Twitter and stuff is the negativity. So definitely, if you've had positive experiences, I think share that. That way we know uh, there's, a, there's a balance to it. The other comment was from, let me see. Yeah, there's some new ones coming in now. Um, okay, so then Krissa Centaur, I believe Krissa, that's how I pronounce it. You mentioned how to, you corrected me on that. I hope I got it right. Says, has this reduced Tesla sales, Ben? Is this really different than saying Ford, uh, Ford dealers ghosting mock e-buyers, GM being flooded with buyback requests that they're taking months to process? Uh, that's probably a fair point. I mean, no one's perfect. It's not like the other car makers are amazing right. and Tesla, like, right. I don't, there's room to improve for everybody. So for me, anyway, whenever I talk critically of Tesla, it comes from a place of like, I want to see them even more kick ass. I want to see them in Absolutely. more people's cars and houses. Yeah. And I want to see people who currently would not consider buying a Tesla, consider buying a Tesla because of some of the stuff. But it, this is not to say that other car companies are amazing by any means. In fact, I have a hard right. time imagining going into a dealership and dealing with a car salesman again to buy a car. To me, that sounds absurd. I, so Tesla's Same. still ahead in that regard, as far as I'm concerned. What do you, what do you think about that? Yeah, I mean, I think these are all great anecdotes, you know, and and it's it's uh, it's I'm glad to hear that people have had good experiences, uh, you know. That's certainly not um, universally true, right? And uh, like like you know, the thing I always had that was interesting was like all my experiences with service people were positive. It was more of like we don't have that part; it's going to take us six weeks before we can fix that, you know. Or they come, or I drop off my car for a week and I come back and I'm like, you didn't fix it. And, you know, there, there's been so many things, but yeah, great. I'm so happy that some people have had good experiences, right? It doesn't mean that you shouldn't focus on it, right? This is the thing. If the argument is, no, it's okay for customer service to suck or quality to be low, I'm sorry. I, I just don't agree with that 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 uh, position. It doesn't make any sense. Why would somebody buy a product knowing that they're, they're going to have a terrible ownership experience and the quality is going to be shit? It's not not rational, right? It doesn't make sense. You, you wouldn't do that if your iPhone was constantly crashing and whatever. You'd be, you know, a- Apple has really won because I think the quality of their experience has been tremendous. You know, that you have stalwarts like me that don't want to buy it because I don't like the the finance team there or whatever, but but Apple has made their their success on the quality of their products, right? And 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 I think that Every business has to make these decisions. Where are you gonna? Where, where are you gonna spend your time and effort? So, we as uh, as normal people, people in the chat, myself, you can squabble over this all we want. 
we're all just idiots with our own opinions. And so we can do with them you know, as we wish. Anecdotes like, Stephen, they're having a great experience. Awesome. I hope everyone has a great experience. Uh, certainly, I, like you, have got hundreds of emails of people that have been, that has been not at all the case. So, you know, it, it's share those experiences online if you can. And uh, I, I hope that Tesla can get their head on straight and start focusing on these things more and just create a, like the, the overall ownership experience to match how tremendously awesome the products are themselves. You know, DJI is another company like this. Like, I don't know if you have a DJI drone, but I, I have one. Yeah, I have a Mavic 2 Pro. It's amazing, right? It's, it's incredible. Have you ever had to deal with their customer service? No, no. I, I did. One time I had to I buy replacement props, but I just bought them on eBay or something and didn't deal with them. I, I had to deal with them and it was absolutely awful. In fact, uh, they had sold me the thing and then the phone I had um, wasn't supported by their software or whatever, so I couldn't use it to fly the thing. And I'm like, all right, so it's useless. And and uh, they had to ha- I had to return it to an office in LA within seven days and the product can, can, could not have been activated and to, to even see if it was going to work, you had to activate it. So it was kind of a funny thing where it was like, their customer service was absolutely atrocious. And so at that moment, I just decided I'm never buying a DJI product again, ever, right? And, and, and that's, that's what I want to avoid from Tesla. I want to avoid people having these terrible experiences. And the only way to increase the own overall experience is to not just focus on one area. So if the notion is, hey, it's okay for customer service and quality to suck, I, I completely disagree. I think you need to have a holistic view of how to make a company better. Uh, we should, we'll wrap this up in a couple of minutes, but so <laughs> this is, uh, Simon Fisher says, Ben, if Tesla does that, what you're saying, like invest more in uh, customer service employees, they divert from their mission. You criticize them for doing that 10 minutes ago, right? That, it's one of these things where How do they divert from that though? Because it's all part, see, so, so th- this is, okay, we're getting back to this. Whoever that guy is, he's thinking singularly about the company, not holistically. You have to think the ownership experience from the moment you hear about it on social media to the, your buying experience onto the website to your delivery experience to when you have an issue or getting service done. It has to be whole. You have to have a holistic view uh, of this thing. And if all we have is singular views, we have to make full self-driving and nothing else matters. I think that is a recipe for disaster. So, yeah. Yeah. Again, disagree with the premise entirely. I- I appreciate everybody for sounding off. I I, have, I love a good debate or a good a good conversation. There's been great points all around between Ben, the commenters, and everybody else. I really appreciate all of you guys. Um, if you haven't taken a moment, Same. please hit that like button. It really helps us. Um, if you haven't checked out Ben's channel, Ben's channel is linked in the description. He talks about all kinds of sustainable tech. Ben, my favorite video you've done still is the hydro panel. Every yeah. so often, I like think about getting a couple. Uh, they are expensive, but making water out of air like on your roof even if the power goes yeah. out if i mean talk about being prepared for stuff so check out that video ben did and he does tons of stuff really digging into the data sometimes beyond what's um what's intuitive to talk about like how sometimes our minds deceive us a little bit and so he breaks some data in a really really awesome way so if you haven't been to his channel definitely check him out um I, yeah i will say i've always said that if you love something you should be critical because that's how you improve stuff it doesn't it doesn't, um, it doesn't mean anything but that you want the best for them, right? So like if my son is doing something, I'm not going to tell him that he's amazing all the time. That accomplishes nothing. Instead, I'm going to tell him all the stuff he's doing wrong because 
long term, I think it'll be better. Tesla is clearly a company that there's a lot of love. Looking at the comment section and Ben mentioned himself, Ben has all Teslas. Is that true? Do you have a non-Tesla vehicle in your entire life? Uh, currently, no. No. <laughs> um, yeah. I have a Tesla, right? Um, so these are companies that, there's a company that we really love. And uh, I think it's just a, a question of, to me, kind of a little bit about priorities. And also, I think having a little criticism here and there is a good thing because we want to see them do better tomorrow instead of feeling good about that they're fine today. That doesn't accomplish much. That's always my personal take. And when I do get emails from people about long wait times for stuff, um, somebody mentioned that there's other car companies have problems with service. Um, Tesla has an issue with people and it's because they're growing so fast. Tesla's solar rollout is unbelievable. Like they're rolling out to new locations at a scale that's really, really crazy. The problem there is you have to keep up with the salespeople, the reps, the points of contact, the people who follow the permits with the city and all of that too. And they're just growing at like breakneck speed. This is, this is a common growing pain, literally what that, what that expression means uh, outside the human body, because they're going through the pains of having to scale up everything. I think Ben, you mentioned earlier that you have to scale all the parts of the business together. You can't just be all right, we've increased capacity in the factory. Go make more states available on the website. You have to roll out everything kind of uh, in tandem. So yeah, these are yeah, things I they mean, will figure out. I have no doubt it, that they'll figure these things out. It's just that they they have to keep um, they have keep to keep focus, yeah, keep focused and and keep doing stuff. To your point, I mean, if you do a thought experiment about it, right? Let's say you launch your solar in a new state, and boom, you get ten thousand orders. So then you hire, I don't know, uh, you know, seven thousand. Uh, installers in that state. Awesome. You're cranking, but you hire one person to handle all the paperwork to turn that on. What's going to happen? <laughs> exactly like the person you got emailed. So yeah, these need to be, it doesn't necessarily have to be one-to-one. -one. You don't need, you know, for every engineer, a customer service person, but you, but if you don't focus on all of the bits, it's, yeah, it, it, it's, it's going to the gym every day doing your best and then going to McDonald's and eating junk food and drinking yourself uh, silly every night, wondering why you're not getting in shape, right? You need all of the things to really make progress or to really, you know, have this long, great success, this long, healthy, sustainable business. And exactly. I think any criticisms I, 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 you know, launch a Tesla or Elon are all out of a place of love and all at a place of really caring about making this happen. You know, I mean, I, this whole thing, why I even got an electric car was all about my son and wanting to show that we're doing our best to try to live more sustainably, you know? So anytime, you know, so yeah, the criticism is how you improve. These, these, these are people pointing out things and ways for you to improve. You can disagree with them. I think, I think that's maybe a, a funny thing about the internet. People think that because you say something online that there is no room for, um, for nuance in it. Right. If, if, if I tell Elon, hey, man, get your shit together. You need to focus on customer service. Who am I? I'm just a schmuck. I, he doesn't have to listen to me like I'm just some idiot ye yelling at him on YouTube, just like other people going, oh, my God, you're the greatest thing ever. You walk on water. I saw it. you turn water into wine. Hey, come come bless my, my baby or something like it's the same nonsense. Right. Elon and the people there are the ones that get to make these decisions. We don't as a community. We're not the ones to get to decide it. We have opinions, we have our experiences, we have our, you know, knowledge and our things that we that we bring here. And I think that's what's healthy about all of these discussions. So, you know, I can disagree with you. You can just, I mean, you know, you, 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 you have an iPhone, 
you know, we disagree on that. Uh, but it's okay. I still love you, right? And, and, and that's, I think, what, what would be great if anyone could take anything away is here is it can't just be all echo chambers or enemies. We have to have a way to say, hey, that's so-and-so's opinion. I disagree with it, but we're still cool. You know, and, and the more we can do that, the more I think we can make progress on things because no one is right all the time, right? We're all, we're all can just can you know, have our opinions and our thoughts and stuff. But until somebody that has the role of deciding it and then they go do it, then you can see what the data shows. And that's where I think it's a, a fun, interesting thing to follow along with. <laughs> yeah, agreed. Uh, so we should, <laughs> we should wrap up soon. But there's, I mean, the general consensus is that, um, I think it's a sensitivity of, of being critical of Tesla. Um, Dusty Green says, what are your criticisms of Ford and Waymo, Ben? So, um, yeah, I think, I've got plenty. Yeah. So yeah. I, I think that's, um, it's also missing the point. I, I don't think I, Ben, Ben isn't shopping for Fords. I don't think, uh, maybe he will in the future. I'm not sure this, it's not really about that. It's more that, we, I mean, we could have a different top. We can have a day. Where we talk about other gripes and stuff. We'd mentioned the dealership model. No, no, no. Your point, your point is, and I think, I think what you're getting at is it's not about like, I don't care about Ford or Waymo. They could go out of business tomorrow and I wouldn't lose a wink of sleep. Right. I don't give a shit about these companies because their mission isn't near and dear to my heart. So I don't criticize them as much because first off, I don't own their products and I don't care what they do. You know, I think, I think Waymo is cool. I don't think I call that self-driving, you know, it, it, it's self-driving within the right, you know, so they have, uh, yeah. So, but, but we, we all want to be in a cult, right? We all want to have a, a, a tribe and a cult, whether that's you're a Padres fan or, you know, get into the Padres right now. Uh. Yeah. But you get my point. Like we all want to be a part of a team. And so uh, when people, you know, it's blasphemy to criticize your team, right? Oh, there goes my camera. Um, but 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 that is the the point is like I don't care about Ford, so I don't really criticize them as much. You know, I don't have any love for them. Their mission is not near and dear to my. I don't even know what their mission is. Make cars and money, like that's. But you know, but hey, if you're making really compelling electric cars today and people are buying them, hell yeah, because that is what I'm for. I don't really care what they are. Tesla was one where you guys pioneered this. And your mission is near and dear to my heart, which means it's a part of my identity. You know, so I, I don't mind people being um, uh, trying to point these things out or be upset with me because I do this because they're not the people I'm talking to, right? I'm trying to get to the people that are the decision makers that will make it better. And uh, if you can't really look at yourself critically and become self-aware, then you can't really improve. So, um, yeah, if, if people if people have a hard time with that, then you know, uh, then have a hard time with it. I really don't care. You know, <laughs> the, the fundamental thing <laughs> too is people who love Tesla and are buying Tesla are buying Tesla already. If talking about sustainability, when we have more electric vehicle sales, it'll force all the other companies to ditch their gas cars because nobody's going to want them. So to make that happen, we got to reach the people who are on the fence. And that's kind of where maybe like to, to someone like, like for me, even if like it took more months or something, I might love Tesla enough to to, to, to wait it out to get that car or that solar roof, whatever. But if there's somebody who could potentially be a Tesla customer tomorrow, who's not, how do we improve things to get them there? And really it's Tesla's, uh, somebody mentioned their mission is not just Tesla, it's sustainability. But when, when Tesla does make more cars, make more things, we have more charging infrastructure, their cars are just all on the news as being the fastest, the plaid, you know, might seem like a luxury item that nobody needs, but it's a halo car. It tells everybody else, if you buy something with a gas engine in it, that's cute, but it's don't think slower. you're going to compete yeah. with this. That's a cool yeah. moment, right? So I think we just continue to expand this 
uh, approach where everybody understands that we need uh, more sustainability. Ben might be having some issues. We're going to wrap this up. Thank you. I hope that kind of clarifies, but um, I wanted to talk a little bit about Tesla with Ben because Ben has a definitely has a unique perspective on this. Hopefully the conversation was uh, was enjoyable for people. You don't have to agree or, 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 or not, but we, we hope to have more guests, by the way. And again, Matt couldn't make it this week. We hope he's, uh, he's going to feel better soon. And we'll be back next week. And we have a special guest. We're going to be talking with uh, Archimoto CEO Mark Fronmeyer next week. So definitely hit that cool. calendar reminder for next week and, and come join us. We'll talk about Archimoto, which is a company that we both love as well. Um, and, and and Ben, we'll have you back for, for more stuff in the future. Uh, it's it's I'm glad you're back from your, from your hiatus, for, from your vacation, which I got to take one of those pretty soon. I know Matt does as well. Yes. But until yes. next time, guys, thank you so much for joining and um we'll see you next week on vice versa thank you again really appreciate you ben for for making time to come on and thank you all of you guys thank you for watching cheers And, and thanks everyone for the comments love you all